The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. So we are going to continue our sermon series through James chapter 5. As we have been uh, going through this sermon series, we titled it Dirty Faith. Um, And the reason that uh, we titled it Dirty Faith is because I was not in the room when they made the, the suggestion to title the Dirty Faith. So um, I, I, I can't say why they said this. All I know is, is that the faith is dirty. But God is going to clean it up. Yeah. All right now. You say what? Acting out your faith gets dirty. Amen. So acting out your faith gets dirty. But in all seriousness, uh, what, we, what we know about this book and what it's constructed in our thinking is how we actually should have wisdom. And James, being the pastor that he is, is actually instructing how the church ought to function and operate. But mainly how it needs to do so in light of its faith. Uh, in light of its faith. So when we look at our text, I want us to understand that this is not just um, merely about an individual's um, reactions or um, just their disposition towards how they need to worship God, but how their faith is encompassing how they, uh, they live it out amongst the community of our Lord Jesus Christ and um, about the beloved community. But James chapter 5, reading it, starting in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for precious fruit of the earth. Being patient. Being patient, being patient about it until it reaches, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Everybody say, be patient. Okay, okay, I'm going to wait. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. If you would like to underline or circle your Bible, I want you to underline or circle, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. An example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those. Blessed who remain steadfast. You would underline something else. Verse 11 is important right there at that first part. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or by another oath. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the very word of the Lord. Father, help me, your preacher. Fill me up with your spirit. Take control of my heart and my mind. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, 
our rock and our redeemer. All God's people said together, amen. When you think about patience, a lot of times you don't realize that the hospitals are made for you to wait. Why? Because they call you patience. The reality is you go into a hospital and you wait whatever the circumstance may be. If you're pregnant, you wait. If you got if your leg is chopped off and you're in an emergency room, you may wait. If you are about to fall out, you may wait and because your sugars are too low. Whatever it is, a lot of times you have to be and embody the very thing that you are commanded to do. You have to be a patient and be patient. The church is a hospital because there is a great physician. His name is our Lord Jesus Christ, whom, which we are all in somewhat of a apocalyptic waiting room, waiting for the future to come, the coming of the Lord in all of its fullness in order to rest upon us and take us so that we will one day have no afflictions, no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, etc. But why is it important that James is saying that we are called to wait? It's the big idea, and I want to get directly to it. It is that we are called to wait because God has designed each of us patience, as patience. I want you to think about it. God has designed each of us for his purpose, by his promise, so that we may be rooted in our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be rooted in our faith, established in the Lord, because the reality in which we are asking God to come quickly or to come now is not according to what we desire, but is according to his purpose and his promised plan which requires us to be patient. Uh, many of us who have young children, because that's the phase that I'm in right now. Some of y'all may not be able to relate because you hadn't had children yet, but I got babies on the way. What do they do when they don't get what they want immediately? They ask you a million times. In fact, they know how to say your name endlessly. Daddy, 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 daddy. Daddy, that even when you're ignoring them, they're so persistent that they consistently say your name until you go crazy. But the reality is that persistence always profounds me because it makes me think about how much and how often do I call on the name of the Lord? How do, how do, I, do I do it with a level of urgency and eagerness do I do it with a level of which I am cross-examining my life on a day-to-day -day basis to where I'm always trying to make sure my faith is rooted not in how life feels right now because storms will come seasons will change people will be here and some won't be here there will be things that change, but you know who stays the same? It's Jesus. And so when we think about this this morning, I want us to understand that sometimes it's difficult for us to feel and know that patience is real and it is true. And it's something that we ought to embody in light of what God has already promised, but he has a purpose for it. 
So I want to make this clear that we ought to be patient because we're divine, we're designed for a purpose by his promise to be rooted, 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 rooted in our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is very important because today in culture right now, a lot of people are not necessarily rooted in our faith. Uh, When we have the the issues of council culture, immediately we are rooted in whatever we, um, whatever culture says that we ought to cancel, we begin to do the same. At the church, um, we may struggle with the issues of gender dysphoria. Uh, We may struggle when the issues come around same-sex attraction. We may struggle when the issues come around how we ought to deal with the vaccination. And um, we just all are dealing with masks are optional. And all of these things are overwhelming because everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a perspective. And nobody has no patience. We all have to admit the fact that we don't have patience. It's it's not what we do. It's not the first thing. So I got two points this morning that I want to begin to develop in order for us to understand how we ought to live out our faith in which it should be rooted. Our faith, and our first point, should be rooted in the sufficiency of the word of God. I think that's what what James gets to. Our faith should be rooted in the sufficiency of the word of God. And then number two, our faith should be rooted in the hope to come. How do we know that our first point is, 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 is on point? <laughs> What's the how and the why? Well, the how and the why is this, that before we get to exactly, like, how is this fleshed out, I want to explain the, the why in which he suggests, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Okay, so James doesn't suggest that the readers ought to be patient with a level of ignorance to their circumstance. Nor does he approach this situation with a lack of empathy. Because as you already heard last week, Artez did a great job articulating what was happening in verses 1 through 6. I really want you to hear me. In verses 1 through 6, we understand that there was unjust acts happening to farmers who were trying to feed their families and trying to make their harvest. But they were money was stolen from them. Their crops were being taken advantage of. And so God had said judgment was coming amongst those that were doing unjust acts. And so James is not lacking empathy towards that, nor is he not aware of it. But what he is is aware of is that in comparison to what is going on in their circumstance, the coming of the Lord supersedes that. Doesn't sound good. Doesn't make us feel good. But the reality is the purpose of of their patience was all to be rooted in the promise that was the coming of the Lord, which was an authentic notion in which it was taught by God's word. First Peter 4, 7 says that in the, in the, the end of all things is at the hand, therefore, to be self-controlled. So the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake 
of your prayers. Therefore, those who are experiencing unjust and ungodly acts from people that are around us and people that are supposed to be declaring that they're believers, sometimes we can think that everything is happening from outside of the church. But can I say, sometimes we are the very individuals that are causing such pain and causing such sorrow towards one another. The church. And I'm speaking directly to downtown church because sometimes uh, we can have a false understanding of how we operate and function as the body of Christ. Because patience does not seek its own vengeance. The Bible says that patience is God's, I mean vengeance is the Lord's. So it's, it's right to try to, to get your own retribution for what's taken from you. Or it's right to want to make sure you take back what somebody stole from you. Or it's right to want to make sure that people understand the violence that had come alongside of you is the same violence that needs to be retributed to the individual that caused it either to your family or caused it either to you personally or caused it either to you in a domestic situation, caused it to you in high school and grade school, whatever trauma that you experience, a lot of times you want to enforce it on somebody else or on the person that enforced it on you. But the Bible teaches us that patience is the purpose of God for us so that we may be rooted not in our vengeance. So we may be rooted, not in I'm going to pay them back. So we may be rooted, not in so that I am going to make sure that everybody understands how I feel and the way I feel whenever I feel it. But it is rooted in the promise that the Lord is coming to consummate all things, reconcile all things, and cause recompense. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in my King James for a minute. Amongst all of humanity, even within the church. This is why James says, establish your hearts in the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts in the coming of the Lord because it's at hand. Now, here, in this, now the, here is the how of the, of the verse. The why, I just explained to you, and just make sure that you caught it, that it is God has given us the purpose in which our patience is supposed to be rooted in God's word. That's the why, in God's word. Why do we need to be rooted in the sufficiency of, of God's word? Because he's coming. He is going to handle business. He is going to call, he is going to seek vengeance. Not you, not the people of God. So the how then is also important. Because the analogy, the illustration of this farmer is interesting. Because when he says here, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Now, you can see yourself as the farmer or you can see yourself as the fruit. And look at how he describes the fruit as precious. So I want you to think about yourself as the farmer for one instance. As the farmer, you're the one doing what? Cultivating and tilling the ground. 
making sure that you are handling and waiting on the fruit that is supposed to come. But if you're a Palestinian farmer who is waiting on the climate to change in whatever in the season, right? In the fall right now, there's late, there's early rains. In the spring, they wait for late rains. And so then you think about it. What if there's a bad year and you're that farmer? What does that do for your family? Your family can't eat. Economically, it's causing you to dive into your resources, struggle. And so it's hard to tell somebody who's hungry to be patient. So James is very bold in what he is saying. It's hard to tell somebody who doesn't have clothes to wear every day to be patient. It's hard to tell somebody who's using up their saving reserves or their 401ks or their pensions already to, to be patient. It's hard when somebody has lost a loved one and they care for them so dearly that, that all of a sudden you need to, to be patient. It's hard to tell somebody who's suffering to be patient. But you're the farmer. So is your trust in the fact that you're only going to, to meet the needs for that moment? Or is your trust in the fact that God can meet every need for every moment? So that, that even though that your reserves are being taken, even though that things have been taken from you and squandered, the reality is that God knows and he's taken account and he is the very one that is going to provide for you. Now, you're no longer the farmer, so he's telling them, right, the farmer, here's the how. If you're the farmer, here's the how. Be patient, wait, even though that you're hungry, even though that you're suffering, even though that you're going through, God is with you. Be patient and wait. Trust that he is going to provide. Now you're the fruit. Now you have to worry about somebody cultivating you. But he says you're a precious fruit. Look at the person next to you say, you're precious. You're precious fruit. So what is James getting to? I had to do my research because I'm not a farmer. I've never been a farmer. Nellie said, what do you think? I live on a farm? No. I'm from St. Louis. I never lived on a farm. I was fascinated when I seen people consistently farming today. But I did my research. Google helped me out. I looked up the process of what it meant to do water management when you're cultivating crops and grains. So let's say like if you are a bean or a tomato, you need to be in dry seasons, dry conditions, because you have deep roots and what happens is you don't necessarily need as much water filtration. But then let's say you are um, some celery or you are, uh, 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 you know, something else. You, you say what? You're, I already said tomato. But let's say you require more water in the season. As a fruit, then you need to be placed in the area that is going to cultivate what's needed in that season. I don't think y'all are tracking with me. As a precious fruit, you need to be placed in the same, in the right area in order to cultivate and produce exactly what you're made, designed to do. 
Okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to take, take that a little further. I'm going to take that a little further. I, I'm, I'm, because I think that when we think about the fruits of the Spirit, we don't think that long-suffering, which is patience or gentleness and meekness, are the very things that are being cultivated in order for us to produce something. We only think of it in, in, in the idea or the notion in which it, we are acting it out. But what if you don't necessarily, what, is, what if it's not already birthed out of you? What if it's already not cultivated? We struggle with patience because we haven't been in seasons or areas in which we've had to grow patience. We struggle with gentleness because we haven't been in dry seasons where we've had to be or in areas and conditions where we've had to use gentleness. We struggle with building endurance. Why? Because there are times when we're in seasons where we've never had to build endurance. Some of us have grown up and we've never had to build endurance. We've never had to have patience. Our children, the way we've raised them, haven't had to have patience. Didn't need to wait on anything. As soon as they ask for it, they get it. As soon as you take them to do something, whatever they want, they get it. Or whatever the case may be, it was at their fingertips. Some of you are saying, that wasn't me. That wasn't how I was raised. See, the farmer couldn't go and just use his American Express or use his electronic benefits transfer. Some of y'all are saying, I know what that is, EBT. He couldn't just use that. He had to wait on the Lord. But the bit, what's interesting, beloved, is if you understand where you are right now and what season you're in, then you can begin to ask God to cultivate in you the very fruits of the Spirit that are necessary for you to continue to build character. What does Paul say in Romans 5 and 3? But, but, but not only do, do, I, do I look to the things that are, that are good, but I also, Paul reminds us in Romans 5, Verse 3, that it is in moments or in seasons where he needs and has to rejoice in his sufferings. Because what does it produce, beloved? What does it produce? It produces endurance. And out of endurance, what does it produce? The scripture says that it produces out of him character. And it produces that character, hope. And that hope it puts us not to shame, but because God loves us, he loves us. He's poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The point is, is that in every season, something is being produced out of us, cultivated within us, because we are the precious fruit. But we have to accept that. We can't be frustrated with it. We can't... This, I'm not saying that you can't feel things. What I'm saying is you have to understand that what you are feeling are real things and God is using them to build you up and cultivate you. What does this mean for the church that James is preaching and teaching to? What it means for the church that James is preaching and teaching to is that they are actually the individuals who are trying to develop this level of care, of patience and endurance with one another. Think about what he says in the next verse, in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another. Okay, so he's asked you to establish your hearts, be rooted in the word, but don't grumble against one another. Why? Because our second point is this, is that if you grumble with one another, then there's a direct connection to the way 
that you look at judgment. He says it in the text. I'm not making it up. Verse 9, he says what? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What does Jesus say in Matthew 7 and 1? Judge not so that you won't be judged. Not that you won't be judged by God, but that you won't necessarily be judged in a way in which that is unjust. Okay, it's still not making sense to you. I want you to think about this. How much do you connect judgment to the fact that you have unresolved conflict with one another? So when you come to church and someone says, oh, I can't stand them because, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, look at the way that they raise their kids. They do such and such, such and such. I can't, I, ooh, I, I wouldn't do that. Or somebody, what, what if it was this way? You felt like you said something that was, mm, that was offensive to somebody and you immediately responded. Hey, sister, I, I feel like our relationship has changed a little bit. Did I say anything to offend you? Excuse me, brother, I, I, I don't mean to, to offend you, but I feel as if, you know, something, there may be some, some tension be between us. Is, that, is everything okay? Our grumbling or unforgiveness, unresolved tension, un unresolved conflict is directly connected to genuine faith. Because the urgency in which James looks at the judge being at the door is the reality that they really believed as the apostles that Jesus was coming very soon in their lifetime. We don't live with that same urgency. We don't have a redemptive cross-examination that we use daily in our lives to check ourselves. What is it that we use in our lives that, that we try to, to make sure that we are not judging one another or grumbling against one another to not build up the church? God has equipped you. He's gifted you. He's put you where you are in order to build up the church. Not consumed from the church. Why is that important for many of us? Because it changes the, the, the idea in how we actually treat individuals and we judge individuals according to unrealistic and unhealthy expectations. I really and truly believe that the wisdom behind our text is to realize that what James is saying is this, is that you treat other people the way that you treat yourself. If you judge yourself, against unhealthy and unrealistic expectations, how are you going to treat other people? If you harp on yourself and you beat up on yourself, how are you going to treat other people? If you can't meet your own perfectionism, how will you treat other people? Much of how we hold the standard in which we treat other people is directly connected to the way we judge ourselves and thus we judge other people. Because self-improvement is a buy-in that we thought that if we just be better humans, then we'll be better people. If we just try harder, we'll, be, we'll do better as a people. That hadn't gotten us anywhere. But if we allow ourselves to be fruit, precious fruit, that is cultivated by God, and he and him alone, when we're dealing with issues of gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction 
or we're dealing with hard relationships that are difficult for us to get around. Um, people are telling us that you don't necessarily need to be in the church. And some, of, some folks who are out there, depending on where you are in culture, some people are telling you, you know, you know, you black and, you know, you, you, you origin, original, you know, he, Israelite. Or somebody telling you that, oh, why are you, you know, why, do, why are you going to a church like that that preaches on justice? You know, that's a social gospel. What is really biblical justice and what does that look like? All of these ideologies that begin to allow ourselves to be rooted in something else. So now our thinking and our minds are cultivated to do something else, and that's distrust. I can't trust you no more because I don't know who you are and what, what, you, what you're thinking. Because I'm not, I'm not connected to you. So I can't, I can't demonstrate some of the fruits of the Spirit because... We're not even there yet. Y'all see how culture's trained us and made us? We've become the very judgment towards one another. And God is saying, I'm the judge. So then what do we proclaim? He uses the example that you need to be remain blessed by, uh, you need those that are blessed, considered blessed, remain steadfast. Okay, so what does he use to, to use it as an analogy? He uses the prophets and he uses Job. He uses the prophets and he uses Job. What did the prophets consistently have to do? Proclaim judgment. Proclaim the coming of the Lord. The prophets had to do something that was very difficult. And we, too, beloved, have to stand in the face of culture and do something that is very difficult. The reason we struggle with evangelism, because we don't want to preach the sufficiency of God's word. The reason we struggle with evangelism, because we want to appease culture. The reason we struggle with evangelism is because we don't believe in the efficacy of the gospel and its transformative work. The reason we struggle with evangelism is because oftentimes we are thinking that we need to be perfect before we tell somebody about the perfecter. The reason we struggle with evangelism is because we oftentimes are not showing mercy and compassion with the very individuals that are demonstrating judgment and pointing the finger at the others. The reason we struggle with evangelism is because we have the beam in our eye, but oftentimes we're trying to take the beam out of somebody else's eye. The reason we struggle with evangelism is because oftentimes when we come to serve in areas, we don't see how much we are transformed and renewed every day about with the, regarding the gospel. I'm, I'm trying, and I believe the, the Bible here is saying that the reason in which we struggle as a community of believers is not because God is not present. He's always with us. Therefore, we ought to be patient. It's because we don't understand the purpose and the promise. And we're not rooted to remain steadfast. Lately, I've been reflecting on my own narrative and how God has brought me to saving grace. And oftentimes I, I'm, I'm just dumbfounded in how from when I was a child until I became a believer, how much God had watched over me. 
Because if I, if I, when I begin to encounter people who had different stories and, and grew up differently than I did, oftentimes, you know, it, it would cause me to think about what if I had certain situations that benefited me, right? So what could it do for me? It can cause me to be jealous. It can cause me to grumble against my brothers or sisters. It can cause me to harbor hard feelings, et cetera, et cetera. But what does Job demonstrate to us? That compassion and mercy is something that's not necessarily, uh, that's given to us naturally. So we have to be, it has to be cultivated. Because who was the first one that told Job to curse God and die? I wouldn't, so many people in my life told me to walk away from Jesus. I was being evangelized not to believe in the gospel. Told that it's only for white people. Telling me that I, 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 you know, God ain't real and you wouldn't be in certain situations if he was. Having me look at where, where I came from, etc. And you know what? There was a song that I would always sing that would minister to me by Donnie McClurkin. And it was Great Is Thy Faithfulness. And the beauty of that song, it just sang the same thing. It reminded me that even when I didn't know God, he was faithful to me. He was cultivating a level of patience in me that I didn't even know before, he, before I knew him. And that stands out to me. Because in moments where I'm by myself in tears and weeping, God was cultivating something in me. In moments where I, I didn't understand how to love another person, God was cultivating something in me. And beloved, I believe that where we are in this season of our ministry and our lives as a church, God has you in a season to where he's cultivating something in you. He's, divine, he's designed you for his purpose by his promise. But you need to be rooted in him, in him alone. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is one that reminds us that oftentimes we are not worthy. And we are oftentimes overwhelmed by what we are not worthy of. Your word helps us to rely solely on you and to be, to be established in you. Help our hearts to long for you and to groan for you. Help us to understand that your faithfulness is one that is not bent on how faithful we are or how great we are. But you are a great and mighty God. And we are privileged to serve you. For we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said together, amen. Well, amen. Uh, beloved, we respond to God's word by the way that we uh, leave this place, receiving the benediction. So will you stand to your feet? But you receive the benediction, knowing that you're designed for a reason, that God will consistently grow you in no matter what season you're in. 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. All God's people said together, go in peace.